Let's pray. Can you tell we have a good time up here? We do. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for uh, a chance, Lord, to uh, work through um, Habakkuk today. I bet most of these people haven't read that, so it'll be a, a real treat. So thanks for blessing us. Thanks for being kind to us. And uh, thanks for watching over us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, inside your bulletin, how many of you know how many missionaries we support? Not many of you, yeah. You know, um, when, when I was applying for churches after I left the seminary, and uh, I got the packet along with, I'm sure everybody else as well, about the church, the first thing I did was look at the financial statements. And uh, I looked at the missions, I looked at benevolence, I looked at food bank, I looked at everything that was going outside the church, and relative to the general fund, it was more than 20%. Okay, the average in America with churches is less than 1% that goes outside the churches. And I just, I said to Nancy, come over here and take a look at this. And, um, and it, captured, it captured my heart. I, I learned something about you without knowing you, that you have a deep love and a DNA and now we have a deep love and DNA for supporting all kinds of things, poor people, missionaries around the world, um, things like that. So we gave over 100000 through our Benevolence Fund last year. If you're looking for good ministries, support the Benevolence Fund. Um, they, you know, the money that comes in there, we have people that support. They just put money right into the Benevolence Fund. You could do it online or talk to Jude. And so we have a very good, um, a very good outreach part of our DNA. We skipped uh, three or four years on the committee because of the pandemic, like everybody did, but they're back now, and they're in full force, and we actually asked you guys to approve a, a raise last year to the missions committee because we didn't want it to drop, and you did, and we're going to ask again this year in August that you would do the same. So if you're on the missions committee, you're here today, stand up. Let me see if any of them are here. Kathy Joe's here. Mark Williams is here. Excellent. Pam Williams is here. And so we had some in the first service. And so they are in contact with all of our missionaries. And they're the ones that do a lot of the work on short-term missions and things like that. I'm accountable to them. They're my boss now that I travel overseas. And so um, uh, we, next Sunday, this is what this is all about. We have a mission Sunday. And so Pastor Bob from Haiti is going to be here. It took a little while to get all the flights arranged because I booked them and booked them incorrectly. I'm not a travel agent. <laughs> but he and I have been talking on the phone probably a dozen times in the last 24 hours and got it all fixed. So he'll be here next Sunday. Uh, Pastor Bob oversees all of the Haitian ministry. We've done medical, medical missions there for I don't know how long, but uh, a long time, well more than a decade. And so I went on my first medical missions trip with them, had no clue what I'm doing. Theology is my area, not you know medicine. And um, so we went there, and I talked to Pastor Bob, and I asked him if he had need of uh, teaching, because I teach around the world, as you know. And he, uh, he said, yeah, we could definitely use it. So that ministry has grown. Uh, the last time I was there, a year and a half ago, we had 400 leaders gather. And so he introduced all the churches. Did I miss any? And like five churches stood up. Yeah, you didn't tell, you know, we didn't, he didn't even know them. So we have leaders coming from all over northern Haiti now, and we're training them. The medical missions is not cleared to go back yet, but I can slip in. So he and I are going to, when he's here next weekend, we're gonna, he and I are going to plan the next trip. So one person can get in, but it's still quite a bit of unrest. So you can continue to pray for that country, and he'll be here to give you an update uh, next week. So 
enjoy next week. It's, it's all about missions. Once a year, we try to set time aside so that we can help you understand what we're doing because our DNA is deep in helping people outside. I think last year we gave 4,000, 4,500 meals through the food bank right here and $107,000 through benevolence help poor people. And uh, then our missions budget's on top of that. So thank you. Thank you very much. You're the ones that make it possible to do that. And uh, we love, we love doing work around the world and in our own community. Okay, so we're back into uh, the concept of a redemptive God, the story of the minor prophets. We went through the first part, and then we stopped for Lent. We went through five minor prophets. There's 12 of them. By the way, minor prophet doesn't mean they're insignificant. It means they're small. Major prophets are big. Minor prophets are small. Okay, theologians are very creative in their, their language. So um, the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, cover a long period of time, and they cover a lot of issues. The minor prophets cover a specific issue and are written to a particular king or someplace in the, in the ancient world. So we've been going through them. And my, my argument was that when you look at all 12 minor prophets and you put them together in a panorama, you see several things. Number one, you see all the questions that we're asking today they were asking, you're really going to see it today with Habakkuk, okay? But you also see God's very, his grace and his patience because the prophets spoke over 350 years, roughly, okay? And so um, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about the history to, to fit it in. But one of the things we saw in each of the prophets so far is an emphasis on prophecies, why they're called prophets, and what's going to happen to them if they, quit sin, if they don't quit sinning, okay? They need to stop, but we also saw God's grace for the remnant that existed within the larger group of rebellious people, uh, his, his prayer promises and his hope and all of that sort of thing. So then we stopped during Lent and said, okay, we've heard about sin for five weeks, so let's take the season of Lent heading up to Resurrection Sunday, last Sunday, and let's talk about sin and what is it. And there I argued during that time that your view of sin impacts your view of grace. If your view of sin is only this big, then your view of grace is this big. The deeper and richer your view of sin, the richer your view of grace. So it's very common for us, for example, to say, ah, it's only a little white lie. No, see, that's a really shallow view of sin, okay? And so the, as we looked through it, as your view of grace hopefully grew, I mean, sin, your view of grace grows with it, and you're more appreciative of what the Lord has done. And the prophets really emphasize that. So now we've made it through Resurrection Sunday. Now we're going to go back and finish. So we've talked about five. That means we have how many? There's 12. Okay, I had that rely on my mathematicians here. Sometimes I get my numbers all wrong. I said for years that we have 10 statements in our doctrinal statement. A lady wrote me from Texas that listened to the sermon and said, you know, I've only counted nine. What's the 10th one? Oh, there's nine. <laughs> So we, took, we went to the northern kingdom. You may remember at the end of the 10th century B.C., Solomon died, okay, late 10th century. He was not a good leader. He overtaxed the people, took advantage of them. The poor became poorer, and there was a lot of civil unrest. He was not a very good leader at all. He started out really well. We learned from the story of Solomon that all the wisdom in the world is not enough. You need faith, too. And you need to live out that faith with courage because he was the wisest man and he still messed the whole kingdom up. So as soon as he died, instantly the, the nation divided into civil war. 
You have the northern kingdom with ten tribes under Jeroboam, and you have the southern kingdom. So the northern kingdom immediately set up their own form of worship. They departed from the worship of Yahweh, the Lord, and moved away from the temple. And they, uh, and they did their own thing, and they went away, and pretty much evil kings all the way through. So God, he has a long line. He gives you lots of rope to hang yourself. And so they went 150 years before he sent them a prophet and said, hey, get your act together or you're going to be in trouble. So Amos and Hosea went to the two. Those are the two that went to the northern kingdom. So you have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Okay, here's the Mediterranean. Then you have this nation over here growing, the Assyrians. Their chief capital was Nineveh. And so um, God sent, while he's sending prophets to the northern kingdom, he sent Jonah to Nineveh to get them to repent. They did temporarily, but not really. And then they came over and annexed the northern kingdom, destroyed it. So then he sent Nahum to say to Nineveh, now you're in trouble. Okay. So you have the northern kingdom, you have the southern kingdom, and you have Assyria over here. And so they annexed the northern kingdom and dismantled it, took it all apart. And so what happened was they uh, killed a whole bunch of the people. And the ones that they didn't kill, their foreign policy was to take the remnant into and scatter them around all the people groups so they lost their identity. And so the northern kingdom ceased to exist. Okay? So because of that, now their days are numbered because of what they did to the northern kingdom. So their days are numbered. But now they went south and they wanted to annex the southern, do the same thing to the southern kingdom, because the, the ancient world uh, and really the present world is the same. I'm stronger than you. You have what I want. I'm going to come take it. And they liked all the riches and the things like that. So now they've come to the southern kingdom and they've circled Jerusalem. And so the last prophet we looked at before Lent was Micah. And Micah gave us this really incredible view of leadership because Micah um, went there when Hezekiah was the king. So Hezekiah is standing on the wall of Jerusalem, and he's, circled, he's encircled by, besieged by the Assyrian army, and he knows what they did to the north. So he sees that. Well, not only that, but his own people inside the city gates were evil too, and they didn't like it. They liked their prosperity. They liked their comfort, and they're complaining about him. So he's getting complaining in the front and threat of extinction from the uh, outside. And so the uh, Assyrian king sent a letter to Micah, that said, um, you should just give up now because all the nations we've subdued, none of their gods protected them and your God is not going to protect you. All right? So he's all alone. He takes a letter into the temple and he lays it before the Lord and he weeps. And he says, Lord, I don't know what to do. If you don't help us, we're done. And the Lord said, thank you for humbling yourself. I'll take care of it. Okay? So they had this uh, supernatural event. The army left. And so the leader of the Assyrian king was assassinated when he got back because he failed. They didn't take Jerusalem, the capital. That was Hezekiah. Okay. After Hezekiah, his son Manasseh becomes uh, the king. I'm going to read to you because this is what was happening when Habakkuk comes onto the scene. This is 2 Kings 21. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king because his father had just died. And he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places. His father Hezekiah, okay, the king who was just faithful, 
the ones he had destroyed. He erected altars to Baal, made an Asherah pole. That's a, uh, Asherah was a, one of the goddesses of the Canaanite nations. Um, he bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He even built altars inside the temple of the Lord. He built altars inside um, in the two courts of the temple of the Lord. He built altars to the starry host. He even sacrificed his own son. He practiced divination, sought omens, consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. And so he shed so much innocent blood in Jerusalem that uh, his days are numbered. He did more evil than almost all the kings before him. So it's an interesting story of a father who's faithful and a son who's not. Okay? Everybody gets to choose. So this is the story of when Habakkuk comes on the scene. Because Babylon had come along. So you have northern kingdom, now gone. Southern kingdom, Syrians, now gone. Because the Babylonians came and, and, and destroyed them as Nahum said they would. So now it's the southern, uh, the uh, Babylonians are now coming to the southern kingdom. So yeah, we like what you got. You got good land there. Now he, they're encircling Jerusalem. Okay. So they're about to encircle Jerusalem. They haven't yet. But they're the superpower. The superpower of Syria had been replaced by the superpower of Babylon. Uh, pretty soon Babylon's going to disappear. Persia's going to be there. We'll see that when we get to Daniel. So that's kind of the layout, and Habakkuk comes on the scene, and he immediately asks questions that are very relevant for us today, okay? He was watching the gross social injustice under Manasseh. He was watching the idolatrous worship. He was watching all that in his own city, and he's, he's just really struggling with what on earth is going on. And so he, in Habakkuk uh, chapter 1, he asked this question, verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? I cry out violence, but you don't save. Lord, what on earth is going on? Where are you? I mean, this is really relevant to today. We look around us and see all kinds of stuff we don't like happening, don't we? Okay, I mean, our lives aren't at at risk right now. They may be one day, I don't know. And so uh, he's crying out to the Lord with this fundamental question, Lord, why? How long? Must I call for help? And you're not going to listen. You're not doing anything about it. I cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? You know, why are you making me watch all this when you can stop it? Why do you, not tol- why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. They're all around me. There's strife. There's conflict, etc., etc. And he's crying out to the Lord. And he says, what is going on? Where are you? You ever felt that? Let me see. How many of you have ever felt that? You ever feel that about our country? Yeah, right? Okay. I keep, I keep saying, every one of these minor prophets relates to us today. Kohelet, our Ecclesiastes, tells us there's nothing new under the sun. Okay? The world's been through this many times, what we're going through. We're not the first. Okay? We may be the last. If the Lord doesn't come back, we won't be the last. So he's crying out with a question that we have right here. And so God's answer is astounding in verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. Okay, now pause. Several times we've brought up, God said, I decide which nations to raise up and I decide which nations to destroy. 
That's my choice. You cannot tell by what's happening in current events. I've had several of you say, I think our nation's almost over. You have no way of knowing that. Okay? Nothing new under the sun. This cycle is repeated all throughout history. When God decides our country is done, our country is done. But you have no way of knowing if that's the case. You can't look at what's happening around you and say that's the case. It's happening back here, right here. And now we're at the end of the 7th century. So we're 300 years uh, after um, Solomon died, and we're 100 years after the northern kingdom. I mean, uh, yeah, 100 years after the northern kingdom has been destroyed. Okay? History repeats itself over and over again. So we have no way of knowing. So here's what God says. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. You're going to be stunned. I am raising up the Babylonians. That's the last thing you wanted to hear. He remembered what happened to the northern kingdom of the Assyrians. And the Babylonians were just as bad. That's the last thing he wants to hear. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people. They sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves, and they promote their own honor. Okay? I didn't put the rest of the verses up here, but listen to some of this language. They're horses. They're swifter than leopards. They're fiercer than wolves. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They're like eagles that swoop down to devour. They are all devour. They all count, come intent on violence. And God says, that's who I'm raising up. Okay, you're Habakkuk. Is that what you want to hear? No, that's not. Okay, so this naturally leads to his second question in verse 12. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment? You, my rock, have ordained them to punish? Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate these treacherous people, why are you silent while the wicked swallow up the more righteous than themselves? Really, Lord? You see it? Okay, first of all, Lord, look at all the stuff going on. What, where are you? How come you don't answer me? And the Lord says, I'm going to do something that's going to astonish you. I'm bringing the Babylonians to punish you. What? Those evil people? Why on earth would you do that? That's why I titled the sermon today, Lord, what's going on? Okay? Because that's the same question we have today, isn't it? Same question. What's going on? So, how can the Lord employ the wicked? That's his answer. Here's God's answer. Chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord replied, write down this revelation and make it plain on tablets, and that's what we're reading right now. Write it down. So that the herald may run with it, for the revelation awaits an appointed time, which is not here yet. 
It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. You just can't see it. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come, and it will not delay. Okay, remember Job? Okay, what do we learn? This raises a question, a fundamental question. I'm not going to answer it. I'll give you my thoughts. One of the most controversial questions in the history of the church. Is God the perpetrator of evil or is he the restrainer of evil? Okay. He takes responsibility for all of it. But does that make him the perpetrator of evil? The story of Job. Remember, Satan came to him and God bragged and said, uh, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth. He's that faithful. That's the one thing I don't want God to ever say about me. I want him to say, have you considered my servant Ryan? No, Rob. Let's take Rob. Jerry, there's Jerry back there. It's Kathy Joe over here. That's what I want because then I get to stay below the radar, okay? Have you considered my servant Joe? And what does he say? Well, of course, you protect him. God said, okay, you protect him. People ask me all the time, how do you know the Holy Spirit's alive? Because I'm alive. That's how I know. Job said, I mean, Satan said, of course. It's because you protect him. God said, okay. He's in your hands, just don't touch his body. So he loses everything. He comes back and he said, huh, look at my servant Job, he's still faithful. And so Satan says, well, of course, you won't let me touch his body. And he said, you can touch his body, do what you want, you just can't take his life. So he goes through a year of intense pain. At the end of the year, Job's shaking his fist at God and says, where are you? If you would come and listen to me, you would repent because I'm right and you're wrong. So God shows up. The old language, gird up your loins like a man. (laughs) I love that old language. I will ask you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Surely you know because you were there. And he goes through these questions that humbles Job. And Job repents and God says, no, we're not done yet. Gird up your loins like a man. Get ready for the real test. And here's the real test. Would you, Job, really annul my judgment? He could have said Satan did that, but he didn't. Job never knew. Would you really, would you really annul my judgment for your own benefit? Would you do that? And Job gives us an answer that unlocks the rest of the Bible. Because then he genuinely repents. And he said, I have spoken of things too wonderful for me to understand. You see, this is not our home. This is a corrupted, fallen world. And there's a whole nother thing going on that we simply cannot see. And it's too wonderful for us to understand. And that's what he's saying right here. The revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. You just can't see it. You can't see it. And that's where we live today. The same crux, the same place, the same problem, the same challenge that Habakkuk faced. Why, oh Lord, where are you? He's doing something we can't see. I've argued for quite a long time that uh, why is affliction and suffering necessary? Because God showed us dignity and let us choose, and we chose to rebel him, rebel against him. We see that in Adam and Eve. We see it in all of your lives. 
And so the very gracious thing he could do, the most gracious thing is to bring affliction into your life. Because if he never did, you would never need him and you'd never turn back. And affliction is the one catalyst, suffering, that causes you to become angrier and move away and shake your fist at God or to turn back to him. But if he didn't have it, he wouldn't turn back. If Adam and Eve stayed in the garden with a luxurious lifestyle, they would have never needed God. And so God is saying to Habakkuk, there's something beyond your vision that you can't see. That's the same thing he said to Job. Job said, I spoke of things too wonderful for me to understand. So whatever is going on in your life, first of all, it's for your benefit and the benefit of those around you. You have to remember that. And you also have to remember that it's leading to something far greater than you can imagine. We can only talk about glory. We can barely even imagine it. And so there's a whole world beyond that. So I'm going to skip down to verse 8 and talk about God's judgments. He's talking to uh, the Babylonians now. Because you have plundered many nations, the people who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Verse 10, you have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. And he goes on beyond that and says, you're done. You're done. Okay, so this raises the question. Did God, uh, was he intent on doing evil by sending evil people? And that's what Habakkuk is raising. How many of you have children? Okay, almost all of you, right? You are, honestly, you're a restrainer of evil in their lives. You protect them from things, don't you? You have them wear their seatbelt. They probably wouldn't do that if you didn't tell them. And so you learn to drive safely. You lock your house. You do all the things that you do to care for your children. And every now and then you feel the need to lift that restraint, let them suffer consequences. Our children, when they were seniors, we let them start making their own decisions. And all we asked in return was, um, be honest with us. Tell us where you're going, what you're doing. We're not going to rebuke you. And when you make a mistake, come talk to us so we can process it. So Nancy and I were on a conference one day and got a call from the local police department. Broke up an underage drinking party at my house. Okay? Nancy's ready to throttle the kid. <laughs> That's what a good mom does, by the way. And I said, no, no let's just let, let life play out. So I get home and I ask my son, what happened? Oh, Dad, I did something stupid. Now, yeah, you did. He goes, I have to go to court. I said, yeah, I was told that by the police officer. And he goes, will you go with me? I said, are you kidding? I wouldn't miss it for the world. Will you stand with me before the judge? Not on your life. Welcome to adulthood. You see, that's lifting that restraint and watching the judge take him apart. Sometimes you have to do that as a parent, don't you? For a greater cause. Do you understand what I'm talking about? that you as a parent restrain many of the evil forces around your children. You decide what they should learn and not learn, when they should be exposed and not exposed. And sometimes you have to let them suffer the consequences. That's how I understand these prophets and God's involvement 
And he's trying to explain it to Habakkuk. Habakkuk knew he could solve it like that. And God didn't do that because he's not going to violate your free will. So he's going to give the people a lesson. He's going to punish them by lifting the restraint and evil grows when that happens. He knows that. He knows that. He knows what evil people do. In the Bible, throughout the Bible, at various places, pictures him as the restrainer of evil. And so my take on this is that what he's really asking, he's wrestling with what Habakkuk is, is God, I don't get it in my world. And guess what? You're not going to get it in your world, in this world, because this is not our home. One day this world will be cleaned up, corruption and greed will be gone, fallen nature will be taken care of, it'll be our world then, but it's not now. And we're trying to make sense of this, this, as Job said, this more wonderful place, this more wonderful thing that, that he doesn't understand using the rules of our world and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And you know what? None of these people ever got to see that greater world. Guess what? Neither of you. Hebrews 11 said they all died. They believed in the promise and they lived by faith, but they never saw it. And you know what he says about those people? The world is not worthy of them. Because they live by faith, never really understanding. And that's you. This world is not worthy of you. Because you live by faith. One day we will see the world the way it's created to be with glory. One day. And that's what he's talking about the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come, and it will not delay. So what was Habakkuk's response? The same as Job's. I spoke of things too wonderful for me to understand. Here's what he says in chapter 3. This is his prayer. Thanks for reading it, Kathy Joe. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Please repeat them in my day. He had heard about what God, how God had led them out of Egypt. He had heard about how they had taken the land and conquered it, how God took care of them in the desert when they sinned. He had heard about the greatness of David's kingdom when the kingdom was united. He had heard about all that. Lord, I have heard of your fame and I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. This is faith. Do you realize that? Please, repeat them in our day. Isn't that what we ask? We know you're capable, Lord. We know you're capable. Heal us if we're sick. Take care of the evil and the corruption and the greed. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. But in your wrath, remember mercy. You see? There is that division. He's okay with God punishing the Babylonians and the evil people. But he's saying in the middle of all that, show us mercy. Isn't this what we ask for? 
all of us, when we get hit with something really big or when we look out, I said many times, don't, don't look at social media unless you can laugh at it. I learned a couple of weeks ago, because most of you know I'm on a podcast, a big one. Uh, <clears throat> Caleb called and talked to me and said, with the developments in artificial intelligence, AI, we can now translate the podcast in almost every language in the world. I go, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. And they said, right, here's the problem. We can translate it so that your voice is the one speaking. So I can speak in Italian without knowing Italian. And they said, here's the problem. We can now make you say whatever we want you to say. You realize how high the spiritual battle has risen? Anybody in the world that has access can make me say in my voice what I don't believe. And sure enough, this week, two of the largest podcasts in the world, one conservative, one liberal, both issued statements, that was not my podcast, even though it sounded like me. Here's what that means. You can't trust a single thing you hear now, including from me. Read this. Just like the Bereans, check everything I say, study it. Because you're not really hearing my voice right now. You're hearing Errol simulate my voice. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the spiritual battle is that significant. Okay? It was back to significant back then with what they had available to them. And what was his response? Same as Job's. Lord, I, I repent. I've spoken of things too wonderful for me to understand. Don't worry about what you're seeing and experiencing. Place your faith, not in a president, not in a Congress. That's why Paul, Jesus, Peter said, pray for those in authority. Love your enemies. Paul said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. There's no human who is our enemy. Satan is our enemy. Okay? The town council is not our enemy. Thank you for serving on it. The school board is not our enemy. They may make decisions that some of you don't like, but they're not the enemy. Satan is. And we go all the way back to Habakkuk when he raises the question, why, Lord? Because there's something more wonderful that you can't understand yet. That's why. So, love your enemies. Pray for those in authority. Pray for all of them. Pray for my protection. I speak all the time, all over, and my voice is out there in the the cloud all over the place. I don't like that. But it's part of the world. It's part of my calling. That's the world we live in. Why, Lord? Because there's something bigger that you can understand. And sometimes he feels the need to lift the restraint and let us pay the price for what we're doing. He's not the perpetrator of evil. He's the restrainer of evil. Father, thank you for restraining evil all throughout our lives. Lord, for um, being so good to us, protecting us as you did Job, for uh, protecting Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, protecting Habakkuk, Micah, 
Jonah, all of them, Peter, Paul. Thank you, Lord, for protecting us today and encircling us with your spirit. And, uh, and as Habakkuk prayed, Lord, we have heard of your incredible glory and we have heard of your great deeds. Please do them in our lifetime so that we can see them. In your son's name we pray.